This is Jazz Shapers with Elliot Moss on Jazz FM. In partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business, but it's personal. Good morning and welcome to Jazz Shapers. It's me, Elliot Moss. It's the place where we bring you the entrepreneurs shaping the world of business together with the musicians shaping the worlds of jazz, soul and blues and what lovely worlds they are too. My guest today, I'm very pleased to say, is Patricia Michelson, founder and director of La Fromagerie, I love the name, the award-winning cheese shops and wholesale business. Brought up on the Essex coast with a childhood she describes as classic Enid Blyton, Patricia's love for food and cooking was self-taught. That's the best way to do it, she said. Your passion leads you. After a stint as a secretary for our partners Mishkondorea, no less, Patricia and her two brothers ran Mr Love Restaurant in Mayfair with a certain Jimi Hendrix living above them. Her love of cheese was born by accident on a skiing holiday in Meribel in 1990 when after a tumble on the slope she got lost, eventually finding herself at a local cheese shop trying the Beaufort Chalet d'Alpage. I hope I said that correctly. So delicious was it she ordered a little more directly from the cheesemaker but blames her bad French for the fact she was soon cramming a 38 kilogram wheel of it into her car. Together with husband Danny, Patricia started selling the cheese to local restaurants from their garden shed before graduating to a Camden market stall. Now La Fromagerie comprises three London shops, each with signature walk-in cheese rooms housing over 200 cheeses. So Patricia Michelson, my business shaper today, co-founder of La Fromagerie, uh, it's really nice to have you here. Thank you. I've been thinking about you for a while because we, we've almost asked you before and we never quite got round to it. And then we asked you and luckily you were available, as they say. <laughs> and here you are. Um, did you always love cheese before you fell over in on the slopes? Or was oh, this a- I, I like cheese. I like dairy you know, triangles. That's not cheese. It is. It is when you're <laughs> five years old. It's yeah. fantastic. Um, I liked it, you know, in a sandwich or, you know, things like that. I never got passionate about it until I got married. And Danny and I went on a, an odyssey around France for three weeks, driving around. And we stopped off in all these wonderful places, little villages and towns, staying in fantastic chateau hotels and inns. It was the most beautiful three weeks. And it was 1978. There you go. And... um we had the most marvellous dinners every night. And every night you would see in these incredible restaurants a cheese board. And that's how I started to think, wow, there's more to, to cheese than cheddar, you know. And I started to feel that passion coming coming in. And then I was cooking and doing loads of dinner parties. You do them when you first get married. You, you know, have loads of people around. And uh, I always did a cheese course. And I lived in Belsize Park. And there was a little deli um, in Belsize Village run by a Frenchman. And every week uh, for the weekend, he would bring in these French cheeses from a very famous cheesemonger in Boulogne called Philippe Olivier. And they would be sitting on top of the the counter, not refrigerated, breeze and all sorts of things. And I'd go in on a Friday and buy then, say, £20 worth of cheese, which would be like £80, £90 now uh, for the weekend. And slowly I became this this sort of nutcase about, about <laughs> cheese. As you're talking, 
Patricia has the most amazingly big eyes, right? And your <coughs> eyes are full of stories and passion. And I asked you one question. It's extraordinary. It feels like, and it sounds strange, but the you have a love affair, obviously, for cheese. Yeah. And, and what's wonderful to me is that you were able to take that passion and create a business out of it. The business-minded Patricia, was there always a latent thing that you were going to do something yourself, or is this, were you a late developer? <laughs> A, a, bit, a bit of both. I remember as a child, I loved playing shop, but I would do it really seriously. I would get all my mother's beautiful, you know, little bits and pieces, beautiful gloves and scarves and bits of jewellery, and I'd lay them out and then invite the family in to come shopping. And I didn't realise until actually somebody said something to me a few years ago, that, that was it. It was always there. I am... Um, a consummate shopkeeper. So when I had that, you know, epiphany in, in Maribel and at that bit of cheese after a horrible day's skiing, I thought, I've got to do something. I had the feeling as I was coming down <laughs> the mountain on my own, not knowing where I was going because it was, it was a whiteout and I was just almost, you know, I was going off piste in all sorts. I said to myself, if I get down this, I want to do something else with my life. I don't want to be working for somebody else. I want to try and do something for myself. And it was when I had that little bit of cheese, I thought, this is fantastic. Why can't I get this at home? Why don't I bring back a bit, some cheese? And that's Literally how it started. Literally a message from above. So first shop opens around 1990. Is that right, 91? Well, no, um, 91, I was working from the garden shed. 92... We were moving house, so I was losing my garden shed, wow. and I had to find a little shop. So I went to the local newspaper, and there was a, a short let in Highbury uh, for £80 a week. The home of go. football, Patricia, the home of football. Yes, yes. My husband was delighted. He's a, he's a gooner. He was a gooner, absolutely. <laughs> I'm uh, a gooner too. But yeah. tell me, what was it like when you first opened those doors and you and Danny are there? Well, it was it was extraordinary because um you know I I started on a shoestring and the bank wouldn't wouldn't hear about loaning me money and stuff like that I had a bit of an overdraft so we had very little and Danny said I'm not going to start shoving money into this because it might not last you know more than a month so we did it out ourselves it was very funny because we'd never been do-it-yourselfers but somehow or other we we did it and I took loads of stuff from home to make it look like a a little French shop and um, I thought I'll open three days a week and I'll still do the market store and I opened the doors and there was like this rush of people saying, wow, a cheese shop, you know, because they'd walk in and all the cheese was surrounding them. It was like a little cooled room. The rumour has it that Nigel Slater may have been one of the first. Yes, he was one of the first yeah. customers. And he walked in like, who are you? And I said, <laughs> oh, well, I'm Patricia. Yes, I'm me. And, you know, <laughs> here's my cheese. And he said, fantastic. And he was just starting to do his, his uh, columns for the Observer. Mm. So he was... He still is. He still he comes in nearly every day to the hybrid shop. Obviously, people that know about wine know that there's a serious process that goes behind it. It's the same for cheese. Tell me a little bit about what excites you about the way that cheese is made and the artistry and the craftsmanship. And I, there's the name of a very famous uh, cheesemaker you mentioned to me 
just before, who yeah. is called... Philippe Olivier. Yeah, so just give me an... Explain why you appreciate the craft of cheesemaking so much. Well, it, it, takes, um, it, it takes reference from the land. You know, terroir is one of my favourite words. A lot of people use it and throw it around. But terroir for me is, is where everything happens. It starts. The land gives you everything. If you don't have the land, you don't have the pasture. If you don't have the pasture... You know, the animals can't feed from the pasture. So how you look after your land and how we look after the world, you know, we can get very philosophical about this. But um, something like cheese gives you a, a very clear reference to how to be a good person, how to respect the place that you live. And looking after your animals is just as important as looking after the land. If you don't look after your animals and give them the right pasture and look after them in lots of other ways, they won't produce the milk. So a farmer and a dairy and farms are so so important to the way we live. And taking that milk and transforming the milk into curds and then into cheese is a, a magical process because it, it's these steps that you take to curdle the milk. First of all, you put in a starter. It's like a little yogurty mix, which is acidic, and it will start the process of separating the curds from the whey, which is what you want to do. So it's step-by-step approach, and with certain cheeses, it takes longer than others. And nowadays, a lot of the artisan handmade cheeses, they do a much slower process. They don't throw a manufactured starter in there to make it quicker to process. They let it happen very much more naturally. And then once you do that, you know that you're keeping all the enzymes and the the proteins and everything into that cheese. And it's going to slowly form into these curds and into the little crumbs that then get pressed together into the molds. And you then put them on the shelves and let nature take its course to grow little, <laughs> little I feel like fluffy molds. I've, I've and entered things. into this world. I'm free. I'm just listening. You going, yes. <laughs> Tell me more. I'm transfixed. I've lost myself in this no, little. But it, this is this is it is a magical world because yeah, a lot yeah. of you think of of cheese as coming out of a packet. You know, you go into a shop or a supermarket and you see it all pre-cut and in plastic, and that's. That takes away this romance of what the actual cheese really looks like. And that's why I, I wanted to have a shop to show how beautiful these different cheeses are, these forms. And as you cut into each one, it's not pre-wrapped, it's cut for you. I want to move from romance to, not that reality sounds like romance isn't real, but romance to business in a moment. But that's going to be coming up in a bit when I come back to talking to my business shape today, Patricia Michelson, a little bit more. And that's in a few minutes, as I said. Right now, though, we're going to hear a taster from the Mishcon Academy digital sessions. They can be found on all of the major podcast platforms and hopefully the one that you use. Mishcon Dereas, Victoria Piggott and Dr. Rebecca Newton, organisational psychologist and CEO of Coach Advisor, discuss the impact of women in positions of leadership and on boards. The Mishcon Academy Digital Sessions. Conversations on the legal topics affecting businesses and individuals today. It was back in 2011 when the UK first embarked upon a drive towards greater gender equality at the top of British business. 
And as of earlier this year, it was reported that a third of board positions in the UK FTSE 100 companies are now held by women. So getting women on boards, why does it matter? Yeah, it's a great question. There's a lot of research that's been done. And we know from research that having women in positions of leadership in organisations and having women on boards makes a difference to the performance of the company, to the culture of the company, and to the effectiveness of the board or senior teams themselves. And when you say it makes a difference, um, it improves productivity, it improves how employees feel about their jobs. Is it is it that kind of tangible thing that improves? Yes. Like I said, it, it impacts culture It also, I mean, in terms of the most tangible outcomes, it improves business performance. So, for example, one study that was done of 11,000 companies in Australia over a six-year period, they had a look at women in leadership positions and found that a female CEO, for example, increased the market value of that organisation by 5%, which is worth nearly 80 million Australian dollars on the ASX 200 companies that they were looking at. The Mishcon Academy Digital Sessions. To access advice for businesses that is regularly updated, please visit mishcon.com. Jazz Shapers on Jazz FM. In partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business, but it's personal. You can enjoy all our former Jazz Shapers and hear this very program again by popping Jazz Shapers into your podcast platform of choice. Or you can ask Alexa to play Jazz Shapers and many of our recent programs await you there. But back to today's guest, it's Patricia Michelson, founder and director of La Fromagerie, the award-winning cheese shops, cafes and wholesale business. I've come back from the the little world you created for me. I was slightly <laughs> lost for a moment there, um, as I'm sure people listening were too. The romance of, and, and it sounded so organic, and I mean organic in the, in the broader sense of growth and like a culture that mm. grows. The business itself has also grown over the Very years. Very much so. And how have you, have you, I mean, you, I, I love the, the phrase you talk about, the terroir, the, 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 the land and looking after the land. How have you ensured that the foundations of the business, when it was one shop and then it was two and then it was three, were both solid and were nurturing? How have you made sure that that has grown in accordance with those values you just talked well, about? Well, because we've always had this one way of working and it, it's, it has to be like that going forward. We're 30 years old next year. Congratulations. Thank you very much. But that 30 years has been a long uh, a long journey, whereas, say, 30 years, three shops, is that all you've got? <laughs> Why don't you have 300? Why aren't you like, you know, others? And that's not the way we are. We opened the next shop after 10 years and the third shop after 18. So there you go. But it was time. It was ready, ready to do it. And I think that the ethos is there all the way through. And everyone who comes to work with us has to have that way of working. Which all. is what? If you had to describe the way of working, if I was going for a job interview, right. I'd be very so scared, we, we Patricia, all but what would work, you say to me? Right. What do I so, need to know? Yeah, we can all do every job. There's not a hierarchy. Yes, okay, there's me there, but I will sweep the floor and wash up the same as anybody else when I need to do it. If I see something that needs to be done, I'm on the shop floor every day doing bits and pieces and and going into the cheese room, talking to them, making sure that the, the shop is run in a way that is very attainable. We don't have any... Uh, server counters. So all the staff 
are out, I don't like saying staff, colleagues are out on the shop floor. They have to know about the products. They can't hide. They are there. I said, you are our best advert. You are the most important part. Apart from all our beautiful products, you're the one that is going to sell it to the customer and you're not going to sell something you don't know. So they have to learn about everything that we sell. They have to be able to do everything that everybody else does and that we are like a little community, really and truly. It's a very different way of working. It's not, I hate the idea of going down corridors and just, you know, buying off shelves. Everything is placed in the shop for a reason. You go in and, and get your juices flowing because mm. color hits you from fruit and vegetables and then goes into bread and wine into the cheese room. And everything that we sell there has a meaning to everything else. It's yeah. not just put there for the sake of it or because it's trendy. We, we are not trendy. And so this little world that you create you yes. know, of, of um, stimulating the senses and of real pride in artisanship and knowledge and so on and so forth. At the end of the day, though, in every business, there's a, there's a, a numbers game. You know, you know, she's smiling at me. You know, so this is going. There's a numbers game. You go, I've got to make money here. Of course. Right? And how do you ensure that you can both create that beautiful world and the romance and also translate that into a nice, healthy business? Or does one actually deliver the other quite nicely? It's a thing called trust. And uh, your customer trusts you. And when they come in and they have that experience that it's not just buying something, they're becoming part of the whole idea of what La Fromagerie is and what they're buying, that piece of cheese that they've bought, has gone through a huge journey to get to where it is here from, you know, the alpine pastures all the way through. And it's taken two years for it to mature and then get onto our shelves. And we have taken that trouble to do that and not bypassed it in any way or tried a shortcut. So people that come to us come because they know they're getting something that is not just special, but is, is really honest. It's really honest as well. So, um, yeah, of course I want to be able to make money because I want to keep going, but I'm not going to ever do it to sacrifice it. You know, I don't have fancy cars and three homes and stuff. I don't need that. My business is is the thing that gives me joy in a way. I love my kids. I love my grandchildren. And they're all part of it as well because they come in and enjoy the experience as well. But for me, having the business has been so much more than making the money. Patricia, this business that's grown organically, slowly, um, thoughtfully and the team that you've created this ethos as you said um, that you want people to be part of it and to realize that they've got to really know and embrace it and as you said I love what you said before about you'll do anything you're on the shop floor the last six months or seven months or so has been um, pretty shocking for everybody in all sorts of ways both personally and professionally how's your business pivoted because the the, the, the central London high streets are dead but the local high streets are not, but not in the conventional way. Just tell me a little bit about how you move from one iteration of your business to another. Well, it, it was very sudden. 
But we've always been very good at thinking on our feet. I've got a director, Sarah Bilney, has been with me for 19 years, I think now. And together, we're, we're a bit of a force to be reckoned with. Some people don't like working for women. And I, I often ask, especially male <laughs> employees, are they okay having a well, women. How could they not, though? I mean, I've got to say, maybe well, it's my mum is such a strong, you know, influence in my life. Um, I've always found, on the whole, present boss excluded, of course, I have to say that, that women make much better bosses than men. Yes, we, there, I've we, said it. But it's tr- yeah. on the whole, not always true. But but why would a man not want to work for a woman, in your experience? Um, because they've, they, it depends on the, um, the position that they have. But I have found sometimes men that are working in the business find it difficult to take instruction or criticism in you know even if it's constructive criticism they find it quite difficult coming from a I woman. don't like it from anybody <laughs> well you might not but, no, but from a woman people get there's a, there's they, a they difference do they there? do so yeah there's Dan obviously Danny but Sarah and I work very closely together and when it was the lockdown I was sent into isolation because of my age. And so I was just working from home and that was very frustrating. Uh, but Sarah was at the, at the coalface and we decided to turn the whole thing round from being front facing as a shop to being a food hub that we would do deliveries. We would do supper packs we would do all sorts of things to make life easy because you know you you try to get uh, a slot with a supermarket and you couldn't get it we were doing it six days a week seven days a week we would be doing this and we would be delivering and we decided for our our customers and because we're quite local hybrids a local place suddenly became this place that you know people could get everything they needed and we didn't compromise again if we're doing milk we're, we are doing our lovely ivy house farmhouse milk we're doing everything that you need if you want the flour the flour that we use the italian flowers whatever we were using in the kitchen we were now selling in the shop and i think that by doing that we could keep going and we could see how we could manage the business. We also wholesale, you know, to restaurants. That stopped but, but as well. May I ask a question? You, and, and if you, it, it may be a difficult question to ask, but you lost your husband at the beginning, yes, I did. which is obviously uh, tragic. Mm. How, how have you, and you talk so eloquently and so calmly about how you pivoted the business and carried on, but in the face of where you were on a personal level, how did you manage it? How did you manage to keep going and how do you manage sitting here now to to seem still so clear about yeah, where well, this needed you know, to go? Danny and I were married for 48 years, 30 of them working together in the business. So we saw each other all day, every day. You know, there was no getting away from it. If we weren't emailing each other, we were speaking on the phone or I was po- he, he, he stayed in Highbury and I was in the West End part. But... Um, it was, it was very hard. And I tried to remember what was I doing, but I was, I think I went on to autopilot. Danny would have said, get on with it. You know, you've got to, you've got to keep that business going. I've got, you know, 80 people, you know, in the business. I've got, I've, I can't just wallow and sit back in this. I've, the most important thing apart from, you know, 
my health is to is to keep that business going and in fact having it there helped me get through what what was a, a tragic situation that i was living with because it was tragic i could not i still haven't come to terms with it it's it it happened so fast so you know the, the important thing for me was yes i uh, you know i i know what i'm going through but also i want to keep this business going as well and there are ways to do it and we found those ways of doing it We'll have our final track with my guest there. It's Patricia Michelson, plus playing a track from Abdullah Ibrahim, another one of your favourites, I believe. Uh, what a treat, I hope. <laughs> That's all coming up in just a moment. Don't go anywhere. Jazz Shapers on Jazz FM. In partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business, but it's personal. So here we are in this business. Are you 30 years next year? So 2021, 30 years. What's on the agenda? What's going to happen in the next 10 years? I feel like if there's fast fashion and slow fashion, there's fast food and then there's slow food. And you're definitely the slow food variety Absolutely. in a beautiful way, in a yeah. hold on a minute, food to be enjoyed. Food is about the land. Food is about culture, community. So what does that mean in terms of where this thing goes? Is it just more of the same? In a not, and not in a negative way, I mean. In well, a- I think that life has changed so dramatically. We will have to see. Um I'm hoping that we will get through this year and keep going next year. Hopefully that, that things will open up a bit more and people will come out. But a lot of people are scared to go out and don't go out as they used to. But we've seen, especially in our Bloomsbury branch, which is on Lamb's Conduit Street, it's a little street and we've got loads of tables and chairs outside. I love that street because it's also got lots of men's clothes shops, which is very yes. rare. I but know, I, I, and they're I wonder, It's not superb. far from, um, from head office of Mishkondorea, yeah. not far from, from where we're sitting right now. Yeah, we get a lot of um, solicitors and QCs coming in, even in, the, in their outfits mm. after being in court, you know, with a bottle of champagne or a glass of whiskey to commiserate, it depends. But people do want to, in certain times, want to go out in a way maybe not you know, in a pub environment where it's all close together, but in a more relaxed environment and have a glass of wine and a plate of cheese. And I think that, you know, get me back next time, this time next year, and let's see what's going on. I think that things will settle down and we will um, resume, but perhaps not quite as frantic as before. I, I've always been very suspicious of businesses wanting to push too fast. I think life is different now. You, you need to stand back, look, and be a, a little bit more reflective and a little bit more caring. And I think that uh, maybe we will see that. I'm hoping. I'm hoping for that. Do you think in a way that stuff's caught up with us? In a way that your business ethos has always been your business ethos and actually other people are going to have to come your way. (laughs) I'd like to think so. Um, A lot of, uh, (laughs) it's funny you say, you say that because I've always thought to myself that I think I do it the right way and others do it the fast way that they miss a lot of things. I haven't missed a moment of my business. All the, all the hurdles and all the all the wonders of that business, how we started, I have those memories very clear, 
and all the stages that, that it went through and, and the way it is now. If you go into the Highbury shop, it's like stepping back those 30 years. Very little has changed. We've had to put in a, a, a fridge, an upright fridge, because the EHO said that we couldn't have things on a table and we've had to make certain concessions. But basically, it looks the same. And I love that, that things do stay the same. You know, it's nice to look forward and be really sort of pushing ahead, but it's, I love to be reflective as well and feel safe in a place. And I think that our shops, you feel safe in the knowledge that you're getting something lovely. It's been an absolute pleasure to have met you and to talk to you. Thank you for your time. And it feels like we've had more than an hour because it's been calm and slow <laughs> and reflective. And actually, I've I've really enjoyed, really oh, enjoyed it. It's been an absolute pleasure of mine, a joy. Uh, it's off my bucket list. I've always wanted to be on this show. <laughs> Thank you very much. That's an absolute pleasure. And just before I say cheerio for now, um, what's your song choice and why have you chosen it? Ah. Uh. Miles Davis, Milestones. Um, I play it a lot. And it's funny, my, my husband, whenever it came on the radio, he would say, the first few chords, he'd say, that just reminds me of you. And I think that's great. Yes, that's my song. The song choice of my special business shaper today, Patricia Michelson. Evident from the first word that came out of her mouth was the passion she has for the world of making cheese. As she said, the land gives everything. We need to look after the land. She talked about her own ethos as a leader and as someone in business. I will sweep the floor, she said, because that's just as much her job as anybody else's. And finally, that whole notion and really the underpin of the ethos of the growth of her business, a slow, organic approach rather than the fast and forced one. Brilliant, reflective stuff. That's it from me and Jazz Shapers. Have a lovely weekend. Jazz Shapers on Jazz FM. In partnership with Mish Condorea. It's business, but it's personal. <laughs>